admit or face just how dark of a place humanity has come to. And to do so means that the certain influences in the world must be acknowledged. Hello, and welcome to the End Evil Podcast. This is Chris Jansen. This podcast is created for folks who are seeking truth, people who want freedom, people who love life. The aim is simple, to eliminate evil whenever and wherever possible. What really like woke me up and got me out of like a satanic mindset was watching my wife give birth to my son mm. and realizing that I participated in creation yeah, and how beautiful it is. Right. So why should I ever continue living a life that is contributing to destruction? Because creation is beautiful and destruction is evil and I don't want to destroy. I want to build, you know, yeah. when I was a teenager, I, I, I lost, uh, my my dad and i really didn't uh i really didn't think that there was like a god or anything like that it's really like kind of rooted in a like a satan a satanic mindset and then like i always thought like well if there was one then why would he why would he take that which he created you know why would he take it away you know what I mean? The person that never did anything wrong in my yeah. eyes. Yeah. It's just like one of those things where it's just like, God, it's a really tough thing to get through. And I, I, I was there. I, I, I sat there and that kind of train of thought for like a decade. Mm. And then I, my son was born and I named my son after him. And uh, like, it just snapped me right out of it. Like, holy shit, how wrong I was. You know, I had to admit that, like, I was wrong. And, like, I just witnessed one of the most beautiful things in the world. And I participated in creating that. Hello, this is Chris Jansen. Welcome to the End Evil Podcast. Evil is the destruction of freedom. The End Evil Podcast is dedicated to the book, The End of All Evil, by Jeremy Locke. And I've been d discussing this book recently on my Thursday live shows at 6 p.m. And um, I got a special guest today, James Cordner, here to um, discuss with me some subjects of natural law. And we thought we'd talk a little bit about the book, The End of All Evil, too. Welcome, James. Thanks for coming. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's good to finally meet. I've seen you online. Uh, we're in some of the same groups. Obviously, you've uh, studied up on Mark Passio's work. and. I've seen you uh, at the uh, seed conference too. You were about to say something and then I said something right before you did and you didn't get a chance. I felt bad about that. <laughs> no, it's okay, man. It, it is what it is. It's kind of like a free for all when you, you know, yeah. get into those settings and, uh, and everyone's got so much to ask and to say, it's just like, you know, and then you got to leave it up to like the showrunners to kind of like sift through everything to see what they can bring to the uh, presenters that are there answering questions to kind of like, you know, um, kind of like bring some more information out of the presenters and the the best questions get asked to the, to them. And, you know, that's, 
how I, I don't know. This is how it goes, I guess. But so um, tell us a little bit about your show. You do a um, podcast show too, huh? Yeah, I do. It, it's, uh, it's, it's growing. It's kind of expanding. I've been doing it for a while now. It's like, om- like almost two years since I like was like, Oh yeah, I, you know what? Like I want to start a podcast. And then it kind of just went through the motions and I was trying to like figure out like, well, what, what the hell do I have to say? And then I, you know, invited some friends on and then I invited, uh, Sean McCann on and he's been like a really good friend of mine for many years. And then it was just like a snowball effect from there where it was like all these things that have been like making sense to me my whole life. And now it's like, okay, now I'm like starting to get that grammar together and get, you know, the trivium method, you know, the grammar, logic and rhetoric, you know, I'm starting to work through those, those stages and really like, you know, bringing it all together and moving forward and, you know, trying to put it back out there for more people to hear it. And I mean, you know, I say like all my life, like I've always had like a problem with like authority and being told what to do, like ever since kindergarten, you know, it's like always been something that's just like, wait a minute, like I can make my own choices. I, I don't, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, you got to take advice, but most of the time it's like, you can figure it out for yourself. It's going to happen, you know? Yeah, I totally share that feeling. You know, it was weird because I had a really hard time with high school and it wasn't because I was a bad student necessarily. I was a pretty decent student, but it was the authority thing. And I didn't even completely realize that was what was driving me crazy so much at the time until years later, reflecting back, I'm like, oh, that's what I was going through. <laughs> you know, now it makes more sense. But it took me a while to come to a lot of realizations regarding you know, the situation around us and in the world. How, how did that happen for you? Um, you said you've always kind of had the thing with authority, but how about realizations regarding the bigger picture, what's going on with our world and, and um, tyrannical forces and slavery and all that? How, how'd that come about for you? Realizations? Well, um, so, you know, my, in my household growing up, uh, my mother and stepfather, they would speak pretty freely about things that they were seeing on television and they would be the news watchers and stuff like that. And they'd be calling politicians crooks and liars and, you know, thieves and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was like, huh, like, but those people are, but then on the other side of it, I'm going to public school and being told that these people are here to help and that their job is to, you know, do all these things that they, that they tell us that they want to do for us. And, then I'm going home and like hearing it from my parents and I'm like, I trust my parents, you know, more than I trust public schools. Like they've always been really nasty to me personally because I'm not always the kid with the homework. I'm not always the kid with the project. I'm not always the kid sitting down listening and doing what I'm told. Like it just never was my thing. Um, I ended up actually dropping out of school. The last grade that I officially finished was eighth grade and it just wasn't for me. And I just took my own, you know, I, I kind of like took my education into my own, you know, uh, control and, and kind of just developed my own way of, of going through life and kind of learning things from experience and just reading books and listening to people and talking to people is like how I've learned a lot of what I've learned, but like deciding factors to be more, you know, to answer your question more directly. Well, I mean, 
I kind of, through my teenage years and my early twenties, very, very, like very rebellious, like extremely rebellious. And then I, well, I mean, I, uh, was staring fatherhood in the face and I kind of calmed down a lot and I went and got the, you know, the job and did all the things and paying the bills and the money was important. And that's, you know, the, the, those motions and everything like that. And then, you know, what really happened was, is back in like, you know, I, the government came knocking and they're like, Hey, you're, uh, you you fucked up years ago and you owe us. And I'm like, what? Like, ah, it's like right after I bought a house and I'm like, just going crazy with anger. Just like, how dare they, you know, they would never have, if like they, they want to like, you know, come after me and, uh, I'm thinking, well, you guys didn't care about it before I bought a house and got married and all this other stuff. And now you have stuff you can hold against me. And, uh, that's, that's it. And then of course, you know, shortly thereafter, this pandemic happened and then it's just like, this is just complete buffoonery. Like everyone's running around like madmen. And we all kind of, I think, I think the vast majority of us for a minute, we were all like, Oh my God, what the hell is going on? Is this for real? And then slowly, but surely, you know, a couple people here and there starting to, you know, be like, no, 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 this is not, this is not what it is. And then word spreads around. And then, you know, I, uh, so like, yeah, you know, it, it was always rebellious nature for me. And then, you know, like I said, calm down and then, this current situation happened, you know, and I was just like, no, nah, no more, no more. Like, I've had enough, I've had enough and I'm, I'm done being quiet. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the um, straw that broke the camel's back. Huh? Absolutely. And it's yeah. just like, you know, I like earlier today, I was actually talking to a friend of mine and, I was just like, you know, I've, I've, I've had these ideas for a, a very long time about authority figures, uh, like a very long time. Like I'm the kid in kindergarten there. I t- I've told this story on, on one of my shows before. All right. So make it quick in kindergarten. Maybe people remember they'd have you like sit down at a mat story time. Everybody, you know, sit down and everything. Well, the place I went for kindergarten, they had your, a little strip of duct tape on the, on the floor with your name written on it. Well, uh, there was this, I guess there was this like little girl and I was crushing on her and I wanted to sit next to her, but my name wasn't next to her name. And the teachers were like, no, you can't sit there. You got to go sit over there where your name is written down. And I was just like, what do you mean? You know, I'm going to sit down and listen to the story. What difference does it make where I'm sitting? And they were just like, Oh, you got to sit where your, where your name is. And I was just like, no, I, I, you know, of course, being like five or whatever I was like, eventually probably, you know, I did go down and sit, sit down where I was told to sit, but I was just like thinking to myself, like, what difference does it make? And that was like one of the earliest memories I have where I'm like questioning authority. Like, why does it make a difference? You know, you're still getting what you really want. I'm going to sit down and listen to your story about the, you know, the hungry caterpillar but you know, uh, I just want to sit over here, not over there. And it's just never really sat right with me. Yeah. You know, um, it just occurred to me recently. I started thinking about it. Like, why is it so important that kids stand in straight lines? You know, 
it's just one of the many aspects of things. It's just a little detail, but like it goes to show, like think about how many times and how many teachers I had that made such a big deal about everybody getting in a line, staying in a straight line. And when you start really thinking about it, what's the purpose of that? The only single purpose for making kids stand in a straight line is just to make them do it just to, you know, and, you know, push your will on them and, you know, teach them to be good citizens and do as they're told, you know, it's like, why not stand in a circle where everybody can hear each other at the same time? That would be better, you know? <laughs> right. It's like the straight, the, the straight line. They, they start that at such an early age because it's just a simple thing, right? It's just a simple thing, but it's like a beginning stage of the conditioning right. where, well, we start off by getting them to do this small, simple thing that really doesn't need to be done. And that just kind of opens the doorway to more things to be told what to do. And most of the time, those things that you're being told to do, they don't need to be done. You know, I, I think it was second or third grade when I came home one day, cause we used to do the um, pledge of allegiance every morning in the classrooms I was in. And I came home one day and I asked my parents, I'm like, what does allegiance mean? You know, I was really thinking about it and they're trying to explain to me what allegiance means. And I'm like, why would you have allegiance to a flag? That doesn't even make sense. You know, and I didn't like the answers I got. So that wasn't the last time I ever (laughs) did it. You know, I mean, from then on, I've never done the Pledge of Allegiance. I just never made sense to me. Just because everybody else is doing it, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and I don't pledge to flags, you know? Why would I do that? I'll pledge my, you know, honor to a person or something, you know, I'll trust, you know, but not to a flag. You know, it just didn't make sense to me. So, you know, it goes to show kids are smart at a young age and we should give them more credit, you know? And uh one thing I love about what we're going to discuss, the book, The End of All Evil, is it spends a lot of time talking about you. And the, and you know, the value of a human being and the value of one human being in one life and how important that is. You know, the other thing I like about the book is that like part of the reason I asked you, um, what got you started on this path towards truth, you know, and, um, because for me, like there was all these things like events, like nine 11 was one of the big ones. Um, studying up on all these conspiratorial type subjects kind of took me on this path and it wound up back at, at looking at freedom. And, and then I find like Mark Passio and his description of natural law. And it kind of takes me back to the spiritual spirituality aspect of life and the deeper core principles. And it sort of tied it all back into what really matters and I find so often in the discussions I hear online in the truth community or alternative communities, like getting really hung up on all these details and events of what's happening in the news. And so I'm kind of trying to keep bringing it back to like the core principles, what really matters. I feel like that's really what's missing because we get so lost in the details. So yeah. sorry, that's not really a question, but yeah, go ahead. No, no I, I think that, um, I think that's a very good observation. It's a very, very, uh, healthy thing to like exercise, you know, to, to like work out. It's like we get, we do, we get pinned down, we get bogged down in so many 
little things throughout life, things that are artificial and not like, you know, things that aren't intrinsic. They, they, they create this like false value in things and it bogs us down. It slows down like our consciousness to be able to like grow and, and to realize that there's a bigger thing out there than just waking up and going to work every day. You know, like there's people out there that never ever get to experience like of like a fulfilling moment, like a truly fulfilling moment in in their lives to like self actualize and to like stand in their power and to realize how much they're worth because of the culture and the society we live in. It just creates these cul-de-sacs where people just get stuck going around and around in circles. They never get out. And it's really sad, really sad. And I mean, that's, it's evil that that structure is that structure is evil and i mean it need it needs to end people need to be able to self-actualize and come into their and stand in their power and, and be able to love themselves and not have all these self-loathing tendencies that destroy them you got it the cul-de-sacs where people get stuck. And um, I think one thing you said too, it's something I've been thinking about this week is like um, that feeling of realization and, and coming to um, another level of understanding. It's exciting. And um, it's what makes you realize the value of things when you really think deeply about things and when you really push yourself, you know? And I think a lot of folks just haven't had that opportunity to go there in the first place. So it's like, they don't know what they're missing in a way. And, and I think that's also true of all of society as a whole, because you try to tell people we're in a situation of slavery here and they say, no, this isn't slavery. They don't want to believe you. You know, they don't want to accept that fact to them. That's not the case. You know? So it's like when you try to describe, describe what a world could be like, how our life could be, um, it's really hard for people to imagine because for so long, as long as humans have been around, there's always been this authoritarian rule, this tyrannical sort of slavery situation going on. I don't think many humans have like um, it takes a lot of imagination to dream of something you've never experienced. Right. It sure does. And, you know, it's unfortunate that like the biggest indoctrinations, it's, uh, the biggest indoctrination system that we have in this country and even all around the world is a public education system because it destroys the imagination. It's all it does. Like you were talking about with standing in a line. It's all they want you to do is to fall in line, do what you're told, what to think, not how to think. They don't care about how teaching you how to think. They just want you to, Memorize information and, and that's it. And that's how you pass tests. You could have a complete fucking moron, be a straight A student valedictorian, but they couldn't, they, they couldn't be any less educated, but they think that they have knowledge and they have none. And it's sad. It's sad. I, I, it's not that that person that's in that situation is a bad person. It's just sad that they never got to achieve anything true. Yeah, I've thought of it, too, before, like, um, society at whole, like an alcoholic, 
you know, it just keeps making the same mistake over and over and it doesn't want to admit, you know, and that's, I think that's where we're at in this time is it's just like that time where we've kind of hit rock bottom in a lot of ways. We really have to admit that there's a problem. So, um, that's funny that you said that because that's, uh, something that has been, you know, a part of my life and I've had to learn the definition of insanity, which is not the same one that's used in the book that we're going to talk about, but it is insanity is doing the same thing repeatedly expecting different results. And that's what we've been doing as humanity, right? Government doesn't work, but we've kept doing it through centuries and centuries and centuries of human history. We've had governments in control, whether it be monarchies, uh, theocracies, or what, uh, you know, uh, democracies, whatever, republics, there's always been some kind of system of control. And we've always been like, well, that one didn't work. Let's try this other one. It's like, what about just freedom? Because it never works. It never works. But everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people, they're afraid of what it would be like without having big daddy or big mommy government in whatever capacity it presents itself there to depend on you know it's it's really sad and i think that's why they say history repeats itself because we've never tried anything new yeah i think of uh wars it often occurred to me you know you look a little bit into history and it's just like all these stories of wars and you can imagine a, a snapshot of take take any random village in the world or place and, you know, all the men in the town preparing for this battle and heading off for this battle. And then afterwards, a few of them coming back, missing limbs and this type of thing. How many times were those wars ever really doing anything productive? You know, I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't defend ourselves in, in, in cases of an invasion, you know, the only thing you can do is get people together and try to defend your town or whatever. But um, how much time in human history has been wasted in bloodshed over basically people being manipulated for the most part? Too much. Psychological uh, manipulation. Yeah. yeah, that's all. A lot of it's been. It's just a big psyop. And it's 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 terrible. I think that to try to answer the question, not that you're asking me to, but I think the only time in history that a war has been fought for something productive, but the outcome was actually something productive was the American revolution. And we, as Americans, you know, and I take this such, I take this subject to heart because I'm from Massachusetts and that's where I grew up born and raised, you know, Massachusetts. And that's where it all started. Like it, it all kicked off right there in Boston, the Boston Tea Party, Lexington and Concord, it all came from there and it just spread through the colonies and everyone's like, yes, let's do it. And it, and it got done. And it was the first time that anyone was like, fuck you. And it worked. And it's like, wow, it showed the world what, what could be done and what freedom meant. And then it just became a bastardized version of itself from then forward, I guess. Yeah, a little bit, a little while, but this isn't a history lesson, but it's like, I don't know. I'm deeply ashamed with how Massachusetts is these days, you know, deeply ashamed. 
Uh, you're living in the only other state in the country, the only state in the country that has more gun regulations than Massachusetts. Mm. You yeah, have a hundred, you, yeah, you have 104, uh, different types of, uh, laws and regulations around owning firearms. Massachusetts has 100. Wow. And yeah, yeah, it's this, it's a disgrace. Yeah. You know, and it's funny too, because one of the things, like if you talk about the subject of anarchy, if you get into a disagreement with just your random person, what they will always say is that, oh, who would defend our country in the case of an attack, you know, from another large army, for instance. And like, that's what I point out is, well, at the time of the American Revolution, the biggest armies in the world was Great Britain, right? And they pretty much got defeated because when you're, when your average people everywhere just start coming out of the trees with guns, there's, it's pretty hard to fight. It's a pretty hard force to fight is people that, you know, want to defend their freedom from all angles and they don't care about rules anymore. They're just fighting for freedom. That's like, you know, I, it just shows to me that people can work together and defend themselves when that needs to be done. They set a pretty good example that that could be done. Right. So why couldn't it yeah. be done now? It, why couldn't it be done now? As people, people are scared. <laughs> people are scared yeah. and they, uh, people hate themselves to be honest. You know, yeah. I like to think that there's a hunger for freedom, like true freedom. But at the same time, the evidence is there that there's a lot of people out there that couldn't, they, they, they couldn't get by in that type of world and they need to be taught that it's possible that we live in a society where that we could live in a society where people just are taught, you know, objective morality and that it is possible and that we're all like one big happy family. It's like, you don't, you know, you don't just go off demanding things from people. You know, you do it, you do things for the benefit of others and it's because it's a good thing to do. Like the argument of, well, who would build the roads? The same people that build the roads now, but they would be doing it because they know the roads need to be built, not for the greed of the paycheck. It's like, like in, in the book, end of all evil, it says that money is not evil. Greed is evil. And that, that was like quite impactful to me when I heard that. It's like, wow, that's actually true. You know, but is that a chicken egg scenario? I don't know, but it's like, I think that that's true. Uh, you know, greed is the evil part, not the money. Money's inanimate. It can't do anything. It's the actions that are taken because of it. That's evil. You know, that's actually a subject I got onto, um, the last few weeks on my podcast. Um, I made a couple episodes called in greed we trust and what I was pointing out is that money in the current form, the way it's used is evil in many ways because of like the way that the um, federal reserve works, for instance, is this manipulation of people that, you know, if money was, you know, like at the time when it was backed by gold and it had a value that was fair, then um, if we were trading something that was always worth the same amount, we all knew what that amount was, you know, like you could go trade in your note at the bank for the actual amount of gold that the note was worth. That would be, uh, that wouldn't be an evil system, but the way it's become where you have these bankers 
that that control all the money in the world and they're able to just create money out of nothing it's like a huge scam and, and it has become evil in the way it's used and you know these bills have all these coded messages on them with um occult symbols and this type of thing so yeah there is a lot of evil in the current system but you're right you know like money itself the idea of trading our energy and um trading our goods is actually what creates freedom you know and agorism would be one way to start working towards that end you know absolutely but, um, like sam Com- sam compkins uh agorist uh the agorist primer or what uh, what is it did i say the correct title it's something okay. like that yeah that's close sam- samuel f compkin uh, he, the third, he's like one of the pioneers of agorism, right? right? Yeah. And he wrote a book called the agorists primer. And it's a bit, it's just a little pamphlet. It's like, I think like a hundred pages long and it just goes through all the counter economics and the steps that we could take as a, as a society in small groups, like instead of going and to the big shop to get your car fixed. If you need your car fixed, why don't you find a, you know, a shade tree mechanic and, you know, kind of like bypass the tax system and the economic system that's in place now by just like paying them in cash or being like, Hey, do you need some food? I got some food. And then you just say, I'm going to give you a bunch of food and you can, you know, fix my car, replace my tire for me or do an oil change for me. Like simple little things like that. Like, so that's what like agorism is all about is just counter economics. It's like a trade system, that type of stuff. Right. Yeah. I love to your, um, you have a, the tree of life picture behind you there. And that's, you know, a big thing for me too. I always have my tree of life because it symbolizes this, you know, what we're doing, what we're talking about is coming to the recognition or the realization of what is, and the tree of life symbolizes what is. All living things are connected. We're all part of this great tree. And when, you know, if you think of, for instance, um, farmers, you know, imagine a little community area and there's four or five farmers in this area. They're growing um, various crops. There's going to be certain um, brotherly love between these people and trade. You know, they keep each other in business. They protect each other's fields. They protect each other's businesses. It just makes sense. It's like the tree. You know, one branch supports the other. And, you know, there's been a lot of times in, in this country, and I think still there, this still exists in more rural areas where people learn to rely on each other. And it's a recognition of the reality that we have to do that. That's part of living on this planet with all these other living things is that recognizing we're all connected (laughs) and for some reason that's really difficult in this time yeah yeah it is uh uh, to expand a little bit more about agorism for anyone listening that might have not heard about this the greek word agora is where agorist comes from agora is greek for like basically a marketplace and that's where the people would go to trade goods and it was a free market they would trade goods. Oh, you got tomatoes. Oh, I got corn. Well, give me some corn and you can have some tomatoes or whatever, you know, like that kind of stuff would go on in the Agora. Yeah. It's really pretty simple concept. You know how things can work. It's really not that complicated, which um that actually brings me to here. I'm going to share a slide. This is one I had um on my last show. 
from chapter two in the end of all evil. And the heading is simplicity. And it says the world is simpler than it pretends. Complexities are found in every aspect of our cultures, politics and, and economies. Everyday people are introduced to new ideas, new spin, new views, or a new symptom of our world. Many of these ideas are perversions of principle designed to engineer specific reactions from people. So this seems appropriate to me, you know, based on what we're talking about and what's going on around us in the world right now. So, um, you know, I'm curious how this hits you and, and what you think about the idea of that. Locke is presenting here with simplicity and um, people's um, reactions being engineered. (laughs) How does that strike you? Well, he also says in the book that uh, truth is simple, right? And that these, uh, these cultures, the politics and the economics or economies, sorry, they devise ways to complicate the truth. So that's, you know, and then from that people have, very bad reactions because it's, it makes uh, everyone go haywire because we're supposed to be simple people. And then you start complicating things with, you know, cultures and politics and economies. Well, as those things are all tools of division and that is what's going, people are going to divide and then they're going to be uh, envious of others, which in turn is going to make them hate themselves I mean, this is, I mean, this is not set in stone, my little breakdown there, but you see where I'm going with this, where it's just a self-loathing society because of these, you know, um, these control mechanisms that are put in place that are artificial, artificial, like man-made. They're not, they don't, these things don't really matter. I mean, culture, for instance, to me, Another word comes to mind when I think of culture, heritage, you know, so I have a very, I'm very proud of my heritage, but it doesn't, it doesn't run my life. These, some people that their cultures or their heritage, it's, they, that's what, who they are. And that's not who they are. Like, it's just a symptom, Right. And then the politics and the economies, well, people go to war over economy. People go to war over politics. And the only thing I think missing, well, actually, no, it's not because religion is, is also falls under cultures, you know? And I mean, it says right there, every day people are introduced to new ideas, new spin, new views, or a new symptom of our world. That's a, you know, kind of an obfuscation of truth. I think the way that I'm, uh, the way I'm reading it out, you know, the way I'm working it out in my head, that's, that to me is like an obfuscation of truth where the truth is so simple. They're creating, introduced in new ideas, new spins, new spins, you know, like a spin, like the, how they talk about the news where the, you know, what's the spin and, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of trailing off here. That's so, kind of uh, reminding me of what's going on right now. You know, like this really, this particular paragraph kind of popped out for me because you know like you think about sickness okay it is true that sickness is a danger we face it is true that it's good to be concerned about the health and welfare of other people around you right but like how this whole um covid thing has put this whole spin on these ideas of taking care of people now 
they're trying to say you take care of people by not getting too close to them or not touching them or not hugging them or kissing them or by keeping their face covered up at all times. You know, it's like taking something that's true and then putting in this little spin on it into where you've engineered someone in with, with the power of fear. And now they're all of a sudden questioning what they should be really simple and basic, which is to know deep down that we can heal ourselves. We have the power to heal. Yeah. Sickness is something to be concerned with. That's why we eat healthy. That's why we exercise. That's why we, um, you know, learn about which herbs to eat in this type of thing, you know? And so to me, you know, this is just pointing at right. What is going on around us? You know, every day these people are being introduced to new ideas, you know, tomorrow they're going to say, Oh, I told, you know, at the beginning of this COVID thing, I said, watch the next one's going to be COVID 21 or COVID 22. There's no end to this. And sure enough, what are we on now? The variant, right? What's going to be the next one? You know, it's just a new way to uh, split and engineer people from my point of view. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And it's a way to, for people to never feel like grounded in anything because it's always something like it says, like new ideas, new spins and new views, you know, every day. Like imagine how uncertain you'd be going through your life. Like you would have no certainty of anything because of these mechanisms are are doing this stuff to you. you it's not a good way to live you, you know such uncertainty only creates like it, it just creates like again like self-loathing you know and hatred and fear really i mean those are just products of fear because you just can't you just never know what's around the corner what's going to happen next you just never know i mean and that's true you can't tell the future and that's not what i'm saying but I'm talking about on a personal, like not me personally, but on a person to person basis, they just, they boil it down to like, they won't even know what they're like really capable of doing. They don't know uh, what they are, who they are and where they're going in in life. And it's just, it sucks. You know, (laughs) it's, it's just sucks. It's, It's there to create confusion and to make people, you know, not know which way's up. You know, you brought up um culture and that's a pretty good subject because for me, like that word really got changed because of this book. Um, maybe you want to bring up that section of culture. You got the book in front of you, right? Because Jeremy Locke has a really different um, view than I'd ever heard before, um, how he defines culture. And, you know, normally when you hear people talk about culture, it's kind of like you, what you were saying, heritage. You think of all the things that we get excited about, our particular heritage and how we share it and all the good things. But the way he talks about it in this book, it's a very negative connotation. And I really struggled with that for a while because I'm like, well, I thought culture was a good thing, you know, and he's over here just making it sound like the worst thing ever. So I'd be curious to see, um, hear your opinion on that and, um, how, how it hits you, what the word culture means to you. Well, I'm right there with you. I, I, like I was talking about just a few minutes ago, like to me, culture was always like about heritage and everything like that. I never really viewed it as something that like divides people, you know, I was always proud of my heritage and I still am. And, but it's like, I, I never really viewed it as that type of thing. So let me, 
There, yeah, let me bring well, that up. I'll tell you one thing that I came up with is I looked up the um, derivation, you know, of the word cult culture. And um, I don't have that in front of me right now, but it basically comes from culture or something, culture, which means to grow. You know, like you culture um, in a Petri dish or cultivate a field. And so when you think about how long um, the human humans and the human race have been kind of grown in this authoritarian structure of slavery, that most of the culture, which is, you know, how we go about um, communing with our community has been based on the slave culture. And so embedded in every part of what's been grown is this obedience to authority, this, this false religion. And that's what taints it and makes it something that Jeremy Locke talks about in such a negative way. Donovan, you yeah. want to read a section and see, see what we think about it? All right. Um, well, let's, let's, uh, just, sorry. Uh, uh, looks like that first couple paragraphs st- would probably be a good place to start. Yeah, I'm just trying to gather myself a little bit. I had some background noise. I apologize. Yeah, okay. No problem. You know, Don't worry about it. Got a, you know, not by myself over here, so it's no going to be okay. It's going to be fine. You all right? But he's having a meltdown. Hopefully, oh, okay. Hopefully here, why don't I, I'll go ahead and read this section here. All right. Um, cultures are created to protect power structures. Culture is the enforcer of authority. Culture distorts principles in order to defend the authority of evil. Culture must convince you that it is not wrong when law subjects your worth and destroys your freedom. Culture convinces people of this by perverting the concept of morality. So, you know, he comes down pretty damning on culture, and I've never heard anyone use that word in that way at all. So that's a pretty interesting uh Controversial paragraph, I think. Um, And then it goes on to say, morality is liberty. Immorality is evil. The exercise and defense of freedom are moral. The destruction of freedom is immoral. This is pure truth of morality. Mm-hmm. So, so, I don't know. How does that strike you? Well, I mean, if we go back, so he kind of, to me, it's like he he's kind of given definitions as he goes. And at the beginning, he's like talking about um, he defines principles and everything. And, and like, uh, let's see, where does he have that? Is it here? Or is it? Principle versus law to understand yeah, how. Two. Yeah. So to understand how evil controls people, it is necessary to understand the difference between principle and law. A principle is a truth that creates freedom. A law is a lie that creates slavery. Principles describe reality. They are knowledge that help you uh, to make use of your world because of your intelligence, you recognize principles in everything you do. 
Every true thing you learn is a principle. The movements of your hands, which foods taste good, mathematics and empathy for a friend are all based on principles. You know, and we can go back to the, is it page 29? And so he's talking about principles here and culture distorts principles. So it create, it distorts, you know, uh, distorts basically saying distorts truth. Uh, it's, it's, it's a real, uh, it's very different than how I've come to learn about culture through my life. Yeah. I um, find this section challenging more than it, it, the rest of the book. Everything's just like pretty straightforward. But when he started yeah. using the word culture in that way, I really struggled with it, you know, and the only way it makes sense to me is that, you know, we can grow. Like if you imagine, I have thought about it like a piece of bread. You can take a piece of bread and keep it in a bag in the refrigerator, you know, for a week and take it out of that bag and it's going to be a fresh, nice piece of bread you're going to want to eat. Take that same piece of bread and lay it out in the wet grass and leave it there for seven days and come back and get it. What are you going to get? It grew all this mold and there's bugs on it and, you know, half of it's gone. So um, you've created a different culture. It's two different completely cultures, right? And almost like in a lab, right? And so yeah. if you think of the way we're living in our world, the culture we have has so much been engineered by lies and evil forces and tyranny and slavery that the whole culture is based on that slavery. But that doesn't mean we couldn't have a culture of anarchy where we didn't do that, where we didn't coerce one another and we didn't force one another into things. We would have a, we would have a culture that we could talk about in a positive connotation. Right. I mean, I think, I think when we break down the word culture, you get another word out of it right there. I highlighted on the screen cult. Mm. Okay. And you know, you know, might know a thing or two about cults. You know, the police are in a cult. The government, you no, know, that's a cult. Uh, the people that were down in Jonestown back then, that was a cult. You know, Manson, he had a cult, so on and so forth. They've called other groups cults before. Uh, what does a cult do? What, like, let's let's look at it that way. What does a cult do? It kind of gives you a prescribed belief, and it makes you give up your belongings. You know, these types of things. Uh, individuality makes you give up your individuality, gets rid of the kind of, uh, I or you and replaces it with the we or us. And to every us, there is also a them. <laughs> so I'm just saying that prescribed beliefs, you know, the thing about beliefs is, is that they don't have to be rooted in truth in order for somebody to act upon them. You know, uh, or, you know, you know what I mean? So I, I know, think that's th what I've thought a lot about on that is like, we kind of talked about, we touched on it a little. Um, but I think of it in terms of like half truths mm. where a truth is always used. A half truth is used to get people to do things. Um, like in religion where you take the base of every religion is natural law is do unto others as you would have done unto you. 
But then you put on top of that decorations and stories and, you know, um, you add all these flavors and colors until the original truth is sort of covered with these, um, this engineering that's done to get people to manipulate them into doing things. And they're getting distracted by all the things you've put on top of it, the colors, the decorations, the stories you've added. And they forget about the core principle because they're easily, that's the way people are. We're just easily distracted, especially if we're caught up, you know, like we are in this matrix of other things and complexities. When we, we need to get back to the simple things, you can see through that, but it's hard. Yeah. yeah like an example that comes to mind of what you were just talking about, take uh, some holidays that are celebrated, you know, like Christmas originally, what's that? Really, like what, what, what's the story that we get told, right? Santa Claus. And, uh, he gives out gifts. It's supposed to be a tale of generosity, you know? Instead, now people, these days, it's a demand and it's a, what do I know, get? I, yeah. What do I get? What, oh, where are the rest of my gifts? You know? <laughs> That's not the one I wanted. Yeah. Like, where's my BB gun? You know, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm going to buy myself and, a new car this year. And now it's all pro it's all product placements and commercials on TV and sales at the store. You know, people go out on what's supposed to be Thanksgiving where you are giving thanks, you know, traditionally how these holidays were celebrated. You just, you know, you're, you're spending time with your family. You're giving thanks, you know, like whatever, but whatever reason the holiday came to be, I don't care. Um, but I mean, from being a child, I saw it one way. And then next thing you know, Oh, here comes black Friday. And now it's like Thanksgiving is just Christmas part one. And it's just like, Oh, everyone's eating dinner so they can go shopping. And it's like, well, it's these things in culture that kind of break down the good in society, you know, where there's opportunity for good culture kind of breaks it down and just mutates it into something bad and just takes it and just chews it up and spits it back out and says, here you go. Here's what's left. You know, like for instance, right here, I turned the page so viewers can continue reading while we're chatting, but it's right here. The, the control of speech. You know, speech is controlled by culture because speech advances wisdom. Human communication accelerates growth and learning on an exponential scale. People learn principles on their own through experimentation with their environment, but they learn far quicker when they are able to communicate their thoughts through speech. Speech is the single most powerful tool of humanity. Through it, children and adults alike accelerate knowledge in anything they, they desire to learn. Culture cannot afford the rapid spread of human understanding. Should people learn their own worth and potential, they would never submit to artificial authorities placed over them. Culture is about control. Cultures are designed to protect the powerful, to protect those in authority. It, its job is to make sure that speech cannot flow freely. To accomplish this, it establishes a pattern of subversion of thought and propriety of speech. When I read that, not just now, 
But when I also, when I heard that on the audio book and when I've read it, holy shit, like, wow. And look where we are today. This yeah. book was, this book was written 16 years ago. Look right. where we are right now. People are getting kicked out of places for saying, you know, that they support some guy, you know, like, or this, that, or the other thing. Like people are getting their censored. jobs taken away, censored, right. all this stuff. And it's like the cancel culture is what they call it. Cancel culture. It's like, whoa, like, it's it's becoming it's, all it's too mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. And even surprising even to those of us that have been expecting this type of thing to come down, you know? And now seeing it happening so quickly around us is is just shocking. And it makes you wonder how much longer it can go on this way. Um I found the um culture derivation there's a, a website I go to um, very often called edamonline.com because uh, this guy does a really good job. Um, culture comes from the mid-15th century, the tilling of land, the act of preparing the earth for crops, from Latin cultura, a cultivating agriculture, um, care, culture, and honoring. So to tend, to guard, to till, to cultivate. So, um, you know, it's like we could cultivate, we could grow a different type of culture, I think, but the one we're in is, is extremely geared towards authoritarian, authoritarianism and, um, moral relativism. So I guess the big question is, you know, having this knowledge from reading this book, how do we, how do we change things? How do we use this knowledge? And, you know, like the principles, how do we use it like leverage to change the, change the dynamics of the situation? I think first I, I would, I think first, the first thing that comes to mind to answer that question is to, first of all, take responsibility for our own individual action, right? And to be a power of example of the things that we're learning, the things that we're speaking out. And that's the next thing, the speech. He even says so in the book. It's the single most powerful tool of a human. It's like, you know, it's probably not exactly what it says, but you know what I'm saying. So it's like to, to speak it out, to communicate it effectively to people and maybe have a little bit of the Paul Revere syndrome where you go, oh, the, you know what I mean? Like you tell everybody if they want to hear it or not. And that's where I think the difference lies. It's whether or not you're prepared to tell people who will not want to hear it and keep telling them about the evil, even if they don't want to hear it because they need to hear it. That's the reason why you keep telling them. We are not supposed to go through this life being selfish. I think selfishness is a path to evil. Therefore, if we have this knowledge, we cannot keep it to ourselves and we certainly aren't, but we can't get trapped in an echo chamber too. It's great that we're talking, that you and I are talking tonight, but we need to be able to show examples to others of how we are communicating it to people that might've never heard it before. Um, the internet is a great tool for spreading information, 
while it's still in the kind of the stage that it's in now, they're doing a lot in their power to like try to stop that from happening. See information getting censored all the time on the internet because people have been so used to using certain platforms because they're popular and been around for a long time. And now those platforms have kind of cornered the market and they're able to censor people, which is disgusting, but it happens. So what we need to do is we need to go out in public where these technocrats can't do it. Will Keller and John Wydogan, two powerful examples of this. I'll call them out right now. They go out and they, they, uh, they do, they go out there with signs and information that they can hand out to people that walk up to them and say, Hey, what, what's up? They go, well, here's some information. They can talk freely, not have to worry about anybody censoring that right there is exactly the kind of example that's being set for the rest of us, you know? So yeah, use the internet for the time being until we can't, which probably will never, it'll, it'll never be that way, but it's getting harder and harder. But there's also the thing about freedom. It creates technology and then the technology just kind of creates more freedom. It's kind of like a revolving door if used properly. So who knows what's going to happen with the, with the technology, but the fact still remains those two gentlemen are doing something incredibly powerful. And I think that we all should be kind of following the lead to be honest. Um, And it's not a, it's not a bad lead to follow because you know what? It's not about them leading to suppress or oppress others. It's about them leading to teach others to lead. So we have a big, big wide community of leaders where people can stand in their own power and realize their potential. Yeah. You know, it, it felt, um, I had the opportunity to hang out with, um, Will and John a couple of times, um, some of our street, um, demonstrations and it's, it's a real good feeling. You know, it, it's like, um, finally feel like I'm actually doing something, you know, it's, I mean, I love doing the podcast, but, um, it's a little different in person. And, um, especially when, you know, some of the people would ride by us and flip us off, especially some of the first couple of times we did it, like in San Francisco, everybody was wearing masks, bikers, skateboarders, and some of them would, you know, yell at us and call us Trump supporters. And, you know, none of the signs said anything about Trump, you know, it's just like people's minds are so stuck, but I think it's it's important though. That's what, that's the bad part about culture, right? Mm-hmm. It is important Sorry. that someone represents this other idea and this other way of doing things, you know, cause so many people have never seen anybody resist or do something different. And so that's something we can do here and there in our daily lives. But I also see it in just little conversations here and there. I might have at lunch, you know, chatting with some guys at lunch at break at work or, um, you know, in a grocery store, there were a few times because I wasn't wearing a mask. Somebody would approach me and say, wow, you know, I saw you in the store without a mask. And then it would start this conversation, you know, so you do have to stick yourself out there and be brave. And um, it's difficult because most people don't want to hear what you have to say. And, and what I've also discovered is the other side of what you're saying is like around my family 
if you do keep bringing these things up when people don't want to hear it, it can cause some really bad situations where people don't listen to you at all anymore or they start um, judging you on different levels. So I do think there's a balance of um, who you spend your time and energy trying to reach. And some people you're going to waste a lot of time where you could be out um, talking to people that are ready to hear the message, you know? So I do think there's some balance of how you put your energy because I've made that mistake in the past of preaching over and over to people that are just not going to hear it. And now those relationships are strained, you know, at best. Yeah. Well, you can only hope that someday they, something clicks and then they're like, uh, you know, you were, you were always telling me about this. You never gave up on me. You know, the people that you do hold it dear to you, you know, it's, it's tough because you're right. How long, how long? You know, say something until you're blue in the face and nobody's listening. Nobody's taking it in. They think you're the crazy one when everyone, when they're the real crazy ones. All you want is to do good, to have good things, to live a prosperous life, freedom, you know, and true say over what happens to you and your, you know, the, the money you earn or whatever you earn, you know. It's just, it's not a bad thing to want. Well, there's a road to go down to get there. And people are like, well, I can't do that. What do you mean? You know, I got people in my family that are the same way. Same way. I got a knot that, I got a knot that's like telling everybody that everyone should get the vaccine because she wants to get back to her life. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa. It's the same, one of the same, one of the same people that when I was growing up was telling me, don't do drugs. Don't do the peer pressure thing. It's like, whoa, how quickly the tables turn yeah, because right. of fear. Wow. Way not to, way, way to go not living up to your own words. You never meant it in the first place, did you? And that's the other thing too. Stay true to it. You know, stay true to it because it's about the universe, right? You're giving, you're giving to nature. Nature is going to give back. Uh, you know, you're trying to do, you're trying to live and, tell people about objective morality, you got to live it, you know, you got to live it. And you, you know what I mean? We all have struggles with that. I know I do. Sometimes I'm just like, wait a minute. Uh, but you know what? I don't go around hurting anybody. I practice the non-aggression principle and the self-defense principle every day. And there's a lot to be learned, but there's also a lot that I've already learned. And I try to just tell people all the time, I was in a store. I didn't have a mask on. A guy and his daughter, daughter is probably like three or four years old. The guy says to me, man, I wish I had the balls not to wear a mask. And I said, I looked right at him and I said, you do just take it off. And the guy, and the guy was like, huh? And it's like, wow. You know, you're so used to being told what you, what to do. You never thought for yourself and whether or not it was the right thing to do for you. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, and I talk like you, I talk to guys at work too. Like, and I tell them like, Hey, you know, do what you want with your own body. It's fine. But you know, have you considered these things? And I try to tell them the truth. I got one buddy of mine at work. who's actually a pretty good friend. I've known him for a long time. 
And I talk to him all the time about this stuff. And he's like, you're the only one that gets it. And I'm like, okay. And I don't even really, you know, I don't know how much I really know, but it's like, I know a few things and I'm not, I'm not afraid to talk about it to anyone. Just not. They go, you're crazy, man. They can walk away. They can walk away. I'm not going to chase them, but they can walk away. You know, it's fine with me. But when they're like, oh yeah, you know what? That kid was right. Shit. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's okay. Now we can move on together, you know? Yeah, it's not something that's going to change overnight. That's for sure. It's a slow process. And um, yeah. I think, you know, a lot of it for me on a personal level comes down to just making that um, effort to try to do the right thing, to try to be in the right place, you know, and probably not going to see the results necessarily right away, you know, but then, you know, the other thing too, I've thought about it, like um, we're describing there's hordes of people that are in a dangerous situation. Sometimes I think of it like, um, you know, they would herd animals off a cliff. It's like really bad practice of hunting that some, uh, people have got into historically, right? Like, yeah, just scare all these animals off a cliff. And I kind of think of that, like, that's kind of where we're at right now, where humans are just being, being pushed in hordes towards this cliff, right? Like a lot of people are going to get hurt or die because of this force that's just pushing people. And we're not going to be able to save them all. You know, even if we yell and shout the top of our lungs, we're not going to be able to save them all. But, there are some people in that crowd that are getting shoved towards that cliff that, that might actually kind of like realize what's going on and start turning their head and looking around for help. And those are the ones we can reach out and grab and pull to the side. And then they can join us and pull more people to the side. But you know, it's not worth trying to catch everybody. We're not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to, there's just too many, there's too much force in that direction right now, you know, but what we can do is find the people that are open to listen and that are ready for this message and speak to those people. I mean, that's my strategy on it. That's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, do you remember, did you ever watch, uh, is it Wayne's world? Mm-hmm. Was it Wayne? Wayne's like, world. Party yeah. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, but he's like the scene, there's a scene in that movie where he's talking about something. He's like, and I'll tell two friends and then they'll tell two friends and then so on and so on. And every time he says it, there's two more versions of him on the screen. And so <laughs> before you know it, there's like, there's like a hundred of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like, uh, you know, to, it's like you, you just get a couple of people then they get a, you know, it's like, it's, it's really difficult to do because people are so conditioned into this, this mode and it's really tough to break that out, break them out of that. And well, not only that, but this subject matter, like I could discuss morality all day. I love it, but I'm very few people have I met in life that enjoy talking about philosophy. I think most people see philosophy as sort of like this fringe weird thing that doesn't solve anything where I'm trying to point out understanding philosophy is the very foundational core of what we need to do on this experience. And it's what guides us through this experience. And, you know, that's really what I feel like the message that needs to get across to people that this is the most important thing of all is understanding the philosophy, the moral foundation of why we do things. Right. It's like the exploration of ideas to see what's possible. 
you know, and it's like, Oh, it's like what we're doing right now. It's just a nice conversation. And it's like, Oh, maybe you come away from it. Like going like, okay, you know, no, oh, yeah, I'm fired up now. Like, okay, there's another person out there that's, that's kind of like on the same, you know, groove in the same way, you know, it's like, okay, cool. It's a, it's a nice thing to do, you know, philosophy is great. Like just an exchange of ideas. Like, Hey, what do you think about this? Like, or like, you know what I mean? Like, that's how I've always seen it. It's probably not the, probably not the most <laughs> accurate description of what philosophy really is, but. Well, it's the love of wisdom is what the words really mean. Philo and Sophus, you know, it's the love of wisdom. It's, and to me, what wisdom is like Mark Passio puts it at wisdom is action. You know, like people think of wisdom as just being smart and having all these things in your head. No, that's, that's, you know, that's knowledge, but wisdom is knowledge put into action. action, Right. Yeah. And that's a little bit different. And I think when we start actually hashing out these ideas and talking about them, and like we're doing, go through a book and look at pieces of it and talk about the, dis- the, you know, the difficult pieces. Every time you say it and talk about it, you get a little better at it. Almost like anything, swinging a hammer, um, you know, moving a paintbrush. If you keep doing it every day and practicing it and conditioning your muscles to doing that thing, you get better at it. So um, talking about philosophy is very similar and morality to me, you know. Like you have to keep discussing it and hashing it out and bouncing it off different people to get good at it and to really turn it into a science. It's not yeah. just uh, for play or for fun. It's actual what is the foundation of what we do is based on what we believe, you know. So, you know, great, great talk. Um feel like I'm kind of going on too much on now, but <laughs> no, it's okay. Getting close <laughs> to the end of our hour here. Um, why don't you sure. um, advertise your podcast a little bit? Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, where can people so, find it? Okay. So you, it's called a hitchhiker's guide to truth and you can find it pretty much anywhere you get a podcast, right? Uh, definitely on Spotify, anchor, um, you know, places like that. Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth. Yeah. And, uh, it's just a, it's a, a fun show with mostly conversations like this. I got a couple of, uh, other things on there and, you know, it's just kind of like a hub of like, you know, the different talks that I have with some other people in this, uh, community and just like, uh, working out of ideas and, you know, reflections of like, you know, lot, uh, our, you know, each of our lives and stuff like that. Like just, you know, nice conversations with really, really wonderful people. Um, I have a website and it's, it's called freeyourmindne.com. It's kind of like, uh, inspired by, you know, some conversations you might have heard on, uh, what on earth is happening between, uh, Passio and, and Ivan from Phoenix. Um, a big shout out to Ivan, by the way, you know, the, and, uh, so a long time ago, they said something about how there should be a freer mind for every state. And I was like, hell yeah. And Ivan's got his website for your mind, AZ for dot com for Arizona. And well, I made one for New England and, nice. uh, you know, and, and it's, it's just a simple little website where like you can find the natural law seminar videos that Passio did. Uh, you can find your website 
you can find a bunch of other, you know, you can find your own website. I mean, Chris, it's, oh, cool. uh, yeah, I put you on there cause I've been digging your stuff for quite a while now and it's Thank really you. good awesome. stuff, you know, so I, like I took the liberty of, of just featuring you on there and be like, Hey guys, this guy knows, knows what's up, cool. you know? Right and, uh, there's a bunch of other guys on It's kind of just another little hub, you know, of, of yeah. just, of just like different websites and, and, and whatnot. And there's like, you know, some fun stuff on there. Um, but yeah, that's basically, that's basically me, you know? Oh, and, uh, I'm on Odyssey too. It's, uh, cool. you can find, you can find some videos from me on Odyssey. It's mostly just the same stuff you find from the podcast, but you get a little bit more full experience by watching the video. You know, like tonight we did some screen shares. Well, that video is going to be up and, yeah. you know, it's uh well worth the watch because you get the little visual representations. It's fun. Yeah. You know, Excellent. Fun. Well, I'll share your links when, um, whenever I post this show on my website too. Sure. Thank um, you. Well, well, we can talk again, keep going on these subjects and, um, yeah, there's so much more. I feel like we've like, barely tap the surface you know like there's so there's so much more man i you know oh uh um you know i'm gonna end up putting this on on my stuff why why don't you tell anyone who's listening to my stuff uh where they can find you oh yeah sure and evil.life is the website and i'm also on the one great work network.com you can find me i'm a content creator there and I've been working on doing a show every Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, which is 9 Eastern, on the OneGreatWorkNetwork.com. And, um, yeah, that's me. Um, yeah. So awesome. appreciate it. Thanks for having a great conversation. And we'll be definitely um, keeping in touch and hopefully more talks in the future. Oh, yeah, man. I uh, This is a perfect time time frame for me too you know it's uh it, that way i get to do everything i gotta do during the day and then at night i get to chill out and have some nice conversations you know when yeah. i'm not busy out there in the in the world trying to tell people what's up you know like i'm just i just have no like i was so bogged down in, in fear and the fear of rejection and being told to shut the fuck up uh, for a long time and now it's just like you know what I really don't give a shit anymore. I'm going to say it. I don't give a fuck. I'm sorry for cussing on you. No, don't worry right about it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll speak with Parhesia then. I don't give a, I don't give a fuck anymore what people have to say <laughs> to me about me, what they think about me. I'm saying it and this is the truth and that's it. You can, if you don't like it, that's fine. I'm not going to try to make you, but it's still the truth. You know, you go piss up a rope if you think you know better. So that's what I got to say. <laughs> yeah, no, we're fighting a war out there right now. It's, it's, it's a no fucking time spiritual to be, war. It's, it's no time to be timid. It's anymore. a spiritual we're war. It's that. a war. Yeah. You got it. It's a war for our souls and that's it. And that's one thing, you know what? It's, it, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. Think about it. Think about it. Evil's never won. It just exists for a long time and then it gets thwarted and then it just manifests again. And people are like, Oh yeah, now it's a different thing. Oh, wait, history repeats itself. I like, to think, war- I like to think of evil kind of like a cancer, you know, you can get cancer and it can destroy a body, but it can't destroy life. You know, life is, is what all of this is the great tree of life, you know? 
And evil is something just trying to destroy it, rotting a little hole in it. So eventually the evil's going to get worked out. <laughs> the life is never going to lose, you know? <laughs> so it's like one thing is much bigger than the other. Evil can't exist without good. You know, good can exist all by itself. <laughs> and that's what we want to work towards. Absolutely, man. That's great. All right, brother. Well, great talk. Um, we'll close it up for now and we'll, um, continue for the next one. Appreciate it. All right. Sweet. All right. Um, yeah, good talk, James. Glad we're-